This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Ona Tangata O Manawatu. It is a Thursday morning, and that means we turn our attention to local government. And this week it is the turn of Manawatu District Council. And as usual, on the phone, uh, Her Worship the Mayor, Helen Warboys of Manawatu District. Uh, Atamari to you. Morena, Fraser. Uh, good to be with you again. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, the the theme of uh, the past couple of catch-up interviews uh, has has sort of focused around three waters, and there are other things that are going on as well, and notably a pandemic. But um, it would be useful, I think, to continue that narrative a little bit and just get a little bit of an update uh, on where we are at with three waters, because last time we spoke, I think uh, MDC were somewhat instrumental in uh, leading the councils that were very much much opposed to the current situation, uh, given that LGNZ hadn't reflected that to your satisfaction. Uh, That's right. We've uh, made fantastic progress since we last talked. We now have 20 councils across the country who are signed up to our MOU, and there's about another four to six who've got council meetings this week or next week. Uh, who are going to discuss and make a decision around whether they join the MOU or not. So it's fantastic support to have a third of all the councils, and that's a significant population across the country that collectively we represent. So we've set up a little oversight team. We've spent a day in Wellington putting a strategy together. We've talked to key people that we need on board and uh, the, the legal claim has been filed in the High Court seeking a determination on, the, on property rights and the definition of ownership. And the, the purpose of that is, is to get the government around the table again on the basis of they say that we would still own these assets even though we're going to, to hand them over. Uh, so we've got a multi-pronged campaign uh, looking to be launched within the next week. And uh, so that, that allows people right through to the people on the street, to the ratepayers who own Three Waters, to have an opportunity to participate in our campaign. And this is just raising awareness and saying to the government loud and clear that uh, the, the, the country is opposed to the model, uh, the mandatory model that the government is looking to enforce on us. And and what's the what, what's this uh, proposed timeline or not even timeline but a roadmap here? Because as we know, Nanaya Mahuta has said this is going ahead. This is mandatory. Uh, they're going to push ahead with it. Uh, who's going to who's going to get there first? Will the government get there first and and just make all this uh, law and gospel and done, or will you manage with this MOU and the actions you have in place? Will you be able to pull the handbrake in in good time? Um, well, I think. The the government has chosen to go through the select committee process, which means it's going to take some time. Uh, There are some key timeframes when each of the three bills that need to go through Cabinet and get approved. Uh, So that gives us the opportunity to align our campaign strategy with those timeframes. The government set up a working party uh, of mayors that were selected around the country, and they are working with the Department of Internal Affairs 
to tweak the government's model. And because, uh, as you know, there was concerns around the governance structure uh, and some of those other key aspects are things that they're prepared to have a look at. But we're saying we are opposed to the government's preferred model. Uh, you know, what we all agree on is the water regulator absolutely supports that. Uh, and, but what we're looking for is a sustainable investment model for three waters without taking them off the communities who own them and have paid for them. Um, you've said that, you know, you, you're very proud to have gotten, in essence, one third of the country's councils on board with this. And that is a, 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 an achievement. Um, but at the same time, that is not a majority of councils that share your view or at least share it to the extent uh, that they were willing to sign up to the MOU. Is it fair to uh, interrupt this process when it is not the majority of councils that, that um, are, are seeking that, that action? Well, we're not looking to interrupt the process. We're looking to work alongside it. So the government has said that um, they've mandated their preferred model. They've said they're prepared to look at uh, um, tweaking something, a few things with inside that model. So we're working alongside uh, the, work, the government's working party to say, well, we can achieve the same outcomes without going to the extreme of taking those assets off the community, uh, the communities who own them. And, you know, this is about standards, so we will now have national standards that we didn't have before. So the dilemma is how do we pay for the infrastructure um, to get to the standards that we want, particularly for councils who have underinvested over the years. So it's about us working um, alongside and showing to the government there are models and there are alternative ways of doing this. And that's, that's something that we've got a team working very hard on. Remember that only six of the 67 councils around the country supported the government's preferred models. So we know that uh, around 60 councils in the country are opposed in some form or other to what the government, uh, the decision that they made. So, so we know that um, the, by far the majority of councils are not happy with what has come out so far. We know there's some councils who are going to sit on the fence and wait and see what happens. Um, but, you know, we owe it to our community who've spoken loud and clear that they don't support what the government is proposing. Now, the the one uh, sort of stumbling block, I suppose, is this notion of ownership. And it's perhaps a little unfair because this is a, a huge and complicated uh, model and there, there are a lot of things wrong with it. But the ownership thing keeps coming up time and again. The government have said that, in essence, we will still own the assets. And, and to, to on, on, on the on, on the surface, that, that makes sense because uh, whether you're a ratepayer or a taxpayer, you are both and therefore you will still own the assets. But you're contesting that and saying that if the government take ownership, then we won't own it anymore. Who, who's right? Who's, uh, what, what is the definition and, and what would uh, make this more palatable to you? Well, that's why there has been the statement of claim into the High Court. We're seeking a legal determination about the definition of ownership. What does it mean? And, you know, if, if the, the government say that we still own it, but those assets will not sit on our books, on our balance sheet, they will sit with an entity that um, has been vote, not voted in by our community, and our community will have little or no say on those assets that they have paid for. So, it, so there is real confusion about 
what is the legal definition of ownership and you know and and if you look at some of the legal um, legal words around ownership you know if ownership is taken off then there needs to be adequate compensation and as we know that hasn't been the case so it's it's about getting a determination from the courts what is the legal definition of ownership and once that's been determined so where does that sit do we still own them or if we've handed them over to an entity and no longer have them on our books or have a say or have any accountability on those, uh, is that still called an ownership? Um, the water is, of course, uh, important and the management of all three waters is important to all human beings. But uh, perhaps uh, the community in New Zealand that recognises that most and certainly most eloquently is, of course, Tangata Whenua. Have local iwi uh, given you any advice or information or opinion to, to help formulate your ideas? Um, my understanding, talking to me is across the country, is that iwi are divided um, across the country as to whether they support what the government's proposing or not. Um, our local iwi, formally we have not had an engagement with them. There's been opportunities, invitations to engage, um, but they uh, advised us that they would prefer to work directly with the government. So, um, so again, it's unclear um, and it's about, you know, we totally acknowledge the importance of water, particularly, particularly to iwi and how does that work. Um, so, but what we're fundamentally opposed to is why do you need to take the assets off the community that, that paid for and have invested in them, which includes iwi, they are local ratepayers, why do you need to take them off us um, to get an investment model that works? And we're saying that we can do that without that mass um, confusion. And um, yeah, it, it, and, you know, and in our council's case, you know, we've got 59 infrastructure staff. Um, you know, what happens to them across the country? And we would argue that local communities know their assets um, better than an entity that whose head office may be based, maybe Gisborne, Wellington, Nelson. Who knows? But um, we're saying that decisions about Three waters infrastructure, future growth projects, etc. Um, decisions should be made at the grassroots in our own communities. Fair enough. Uh, three waters will likely be making an appearance in future uh, catch up, so make sure you keep <laughs> listening uh, as we uh, follow the progress of this MOU that MDC uh, are championing to contest the current proposed model for three waters management at a central government level. We are here with Helen Warboys, Mayor of Manawatu District Council, for the catch up. Um, let's turn to the annual report, uh, Helen, uh, the, uh, for the year just gone. On, uh, some key successes in there that are worth highlighting. Yes, yeah, so I, you know, I know it's nearly December and the financial year ended at the end of June. But by the time councils get uh, annual reports audited, it does take some time to do that. Councils and not-for-profits. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and this year has been extremely hard getting um, through the audit pro- process and audit New Zealand. You know openly admit that they are far behind. But it is worth, you know, it's it's very easy every day just to move on to what is the next thing to do. And But it is worth stopping and reflecting and going, well, what did we do last year and how well did we do? And, um, you know, we're, we're incredibly proud of what we were able to achieve despite COVID. 
um, you know, and, and our annual resident survey, which uh, tells us how satisfied the community is with council's overall performance, that's at 81%. So given the COVID disruptions and the coordination work that council did, we're pretty proud of that. Um, so some of the key things in the infrastructure side, uh, we issued 653 building consents. Uh, we did nearly 7,000 building inspections, so it just shows you the kind of growth that's going on. We uh, managed to uh, reseal 53 kilometres of roads, plus our ongoing business-as-usual roading and footpath maintenance. Our community facility strategy was adopted, which now gives us a framework to make some really important decisions around community and recreational facilities across the district. Uh, we made decisions to extend the Turners Road, uh, connecting the um, State Highway through round to Kawakawa Road, and that's going to open up more land for uh, industrial growth, which is desperately needed. Uh, one a big success for us is the surplus land, and we that we had in the special development zone in Kawakawa Road and South Street. Uh, we advertise that and uh, really pleased to say that we have reached agreement on um, nearly all of those sections. So subject to consent, there'll be a lot of development of that land and of course that, that brings new business, which also boosts our commercial sector. Uh, earthquake prone buildings, we've talked about before and in that year Council was um, successful in introducing to building owners Seismic Performance Limited, who uh, have a more cost effective approach to strengthening buildings and to date, we've had three buildings completed their strengthening. Uh, we've got 12 consents issued, and there are a number of other buildings in the planning stages. So, you know, it's only 18 months ago we were sitting here going, "What, you know, has our town centre got any future? How do we do this? And um, introducing um, key people like Arthur at Seismic Performances has completely turned our community around and the investment is is underway, which is great. The other big one for us, of course, was the fielding bus service. You know, we worked with the community in Horizons. Uh, we secured the funding and that new fielding bus service will start in the new year. There's a lot. Uh, there is a lot going on there, Helen, and and it's it's good to hear. And and what is uh, equally uh, pleasing is that it, as as you've said, has kicked off a. Some further discussions around the town centre refresh, that sort of recreation and leisure complex around the Makino and the library, uh, tying in with your community facilities strategy. It occurred to me that I've never um, asked or, or been clear before, Fielding Library, is that the only library in the district? Uh, no, um, Manawatu Libraries is, is our name for our services that we have. So we have a number of district libraries around the district, but Fielding is our main library and that feeds out to our uh, district libraries in, uh, we've got Rongatia, Pohongana, Kimbolton. Um So, yeah, so that's, and, and as you know, we have since approved the work to expand the Fielding Library and earthquake strengthen the building. Mm. Is there any scope for a mobile library? Um, well, there is kind of a mobile library insofar as they have regular sharing with our librarians, etc., backwards and forwards. Um, and my understanding is that each community is very willing to very, you know, we're really open to each community talking to our librarians about what is the best way for their community to access the books and everything else that the library has. But 
Um, but also remembering that libraries have changed hugely from not just about books, but also about different ways of learning, technology, etc. So that's, that's what we're looking forward to with the new development. We are here with Helen Warboys on the catch-up. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Uh, also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, turning to the Central Economic Development Agency, uh, Helen, and an update on that. Uh, well, Cedar came to council and gave us a bit of an update on the work that that they've been doing that impacts on the Manawatu district. And I think that's really important because um, they work at a high level and their job is, is to empower and facilitate um, business growth for the region. So it's really hard to, you know, you don't see them out with their sleeves rolled up doing projects, but they activate and allow um, business to grow and attract new businesses to our region. So. Uh, the food strategy, that's a big one. You know, we're looking to place ourselves in the top top 10 in the world as, as far as food innovation. And, you know, we've got all the pieces of the jigsaw there with the food science and agribusiness and technology, etc. So that strategy is well underway. They talked about two new major businesses coming to the region, uh, the Australian Defence Apparels, who make uh, uniforms for the Defence Forces, and the Haringa Energy, who are looking to set up uh, a nation, nationwide hydrogen refuelling network. And Palmerston North is going to be one of those looking to start that next year. There's a campaign just rolled out. You may have seen some of the advertising around the shortage for skills and talent, particularly in the construction and logistics sector. Uh, there's a lot of work being done on the new regional identity uh, so the website refreshed, a new visitor guide, and there's a couple of big billboards going up on State Highway 1 around Sanson. And, uh, and of course, uh, we mentioned before that CEDA's coordinating the Central New Zealand Distribution Hub project. So that has huge potential with roading and rail, etc., making us the, the hub for the centre of the North Island. So... It was great to have the opportunity to talk with the feeder staff and ask some questions and uh, just get an update. So we're intending to continue doing that on a regular basis. Have uh, Manawatu District Council had to increase their funding support to CEDA? Because uh, I think it was last year, um, the Palmerston North City Council obviously pulled their proportion of funding for uh, city uh, marketing because they were going to pull that in-house. It strikes me that CEDA are still doing uh, a lot of activity on less money. I'm wondering how that's all working. Uh, no, we came to an agreement. The city, um, where the city pulled their funding, they also took the activity and the workload. So that's been taken in-house at PNCC. Um, so through the statement of intent, uh, Manawatu District sat down and identified the areas that we wanted to see some work in return for the investment that we've made with CEDA. So, um, so yeah, so it's all it's all worked out really well. We've had uh, we've had a, a change. A couple of board members um, have their time has expired on CEDA, so we're excited to announce in the next couple of weeks um, a couple of new board members. Um, Malcolm Bailey's time as chair has is coming up. Uh, for it, it has expired and he's not um, seeking reappointment. So, you know, we've got some really exciting changes um, which will just add value to where CEDA's got to.
Mm. Very good. Um, let's uh, turn our attention to Fielding Little Theatre, uh, Helen, because this was I, I, the first time I went to the Little Theatre was only a couple of months before it had to close its doors. Um, from what I can see in the media, it, it, it seems that uh, the council have recognised that there's maybe been uh, some... Uh, th- th- the Little Theatre has been overlooked in terms of maintenance to the point where it's in a serious state, but we're, 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 there are reparations in place and hopefully the doors are opening. Is that true? Uh, that's kind of what it is. We have done ongoing maintenance. Um, we've done some earthquake strengthening, repaired the roof, etc. But what had gone unnoticed with a couple of engineers' reports was the water damage that had got into uh, particularly one external wall. And uh, so that meant that we had to put a dangerous building notice on it. And that means that we have six months after we closed it to make a decision what we do with it. You can't just leave it standing and empty. Uh, So that six months is up. We've got some hard and fast quotes now, uh, both for demolition and for doing some uh, renovation work. And council agreed to do the renovation work. Um, Given the reports that and the work that we've done on it, it just made sense to spend a little bit more money and uh, fix it up so that at least, um, you know, until we make some big decisions around community facilities, that building will be able to operate and our music and our singing groups and our theatre groups that use that building will be able to continue to do that. Uh, it is good news because the, the, the little theatre has uh, quite an illustrious history, but the money has to come from somewhere, and I understand that there are some people in the rugby community that will be a little disappointed. Um, well, that's right. There, is, you know, there isn't an endless supply of money, so you have to prioritise projects. And, um, and so the, offer, the recommendation to us was that we could hold back some lighting work that was proposed uh, for Johnson Park, um, I'm, we hadn't actually got to the stage of talking with the rugby clubs about that work. Um, it was an extension of another lighting project that we had underway. So it's about trying to prioritise the project. It's not to say that we won't do that project. Um, it's just been delayed. We had to make a decision on the little theatre and uh, to be able to fund that work, we have to take it from somewhere else. So it just delays other projects. So it's it's not uh, it's it never say never for the 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 lighting project. Maybe that will come next year. Absolutely, and you know things like um, things like lighting and electrical work. Uh, we have excellent support through Central Energy Trust, and so there's opportunities here to revisit that project and have a talk to the trust and see if there's potentially some third party funding available. So with the Little Theatre, is it just going to be a a repair job or are we going to see some renovations to the interior as well while you're at it? Um, The Little Theatre Society uh, leased that building off us and part of that lease is that renovation work to the interior is part of their responsibility and I am aware that they uh, have raised a significant amount of money through the Central Energy Trust to do um, some kitchen renovations, lighting, etc. And uh, so certainly they will be keen now to invest that money and, and bring it up to, to even better standards. The, the, the good thing about that building is the size, the scale and the size and, and the acoustics in it are absolutely ideal, we hear, for music, singing, theatre, dance, that kind of activity. 
where you don't get that same environment when you go to a big um, a big place like the Civic Centre, for example. So, um, and it is used regularly. You know, in the weekends, it's used by church groups. Um, it's a great venue for smaller functions, weddings, family reunions, etc. So. It will be great to get that building back up and running. And what is the timeline on that? You say you've got the hard quotes for that, so I assume you've got uh, people that are ready to, to spring into action and do the work. That's right, um, and Council did sign that off, so uh, we've approved that that work be done. So our team's now gone away to talk to the um, building team and uh, the um, developers and whenever they can start. But as you know, construction... The construction industry is um, is extremely busy at the moment, so uh, hopefully it won't be too far away. But we can update you on that. Marvellous. Uh, we're almost out of time, Helen, but just a, a chance to inform some people that if they would like to have a chat with you, there's a couple of opportunities this weekend. Yes, I've resumed my chat with the Mayor sessions around the district. And uh, so I'm back at the Fielding Library once a month on a Friday morning for people to come and have a chat. But uh, this Saturday out at Hongana at the County Fair at 2 o'clock and on Sunday in Convulsion at the Convulsion Cafe at 10.30. So it's just an opportunity if anyone in the community would like to come and say hello, come and have a couple with me. Happy to chat about anything, whether you've got concerns, issues or ideas. Bright ideas are always welcome. It's just a really good way to get out into the community. And some people just don't feel... Uh, right coming into the formal environment of the council building. So, you know, it's, and it's a great way for me to get out and meet more people. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, is this uh, sort of just a, 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 an obligation of the mayor to get out into the community or do you actively pursue opportunities to do this? Do you get valuable information out of these? Yes, uh, the chat with the mayor, that is something... Um, previously, when I came into this role, the chat with the mayor was uh, going on at the Fielding Library, but I extended that out uh, to Rongatea and Pahongana and Kimbolton and very happy to go to any other community um, who would, would like that opportunity to do that. It's just a really informal way to sit down and, and have a chat, and you certainly learn what the issues are, what's going on, you know, um, people ha- have concerns or they've got questions or they want information. Um, so, you know, I always take notes that the, the questions that I can't answer, I bring back and pass them on to our team. So it's just another way. It just adds to all of the other opportunities when I'm out and about. Marvellous. There we go. Mayor Helen Warboys, uh, thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. Great. We'll talk to you again. You will do in a fortnight's time. A reminder that the uh, chats with the mayor uh, this Saturday at the Pahongana County Fair at 2pm and on Sunday at the Kimbolton Cafe at 10.30. Uh, and she is at the uh, Fielding Library uh, every uh, once a month on a Friday in the mornings if you want to catch up with her. We will be back tomorrow with the next edition of the Catch Up with Tangi Utakeri, a member of Parliament for Palmerston North. Do join us for that. I'm sure we'll try and tease out some information about the new national leader Uh, but in the meantime enjoy the rest of your day and we'll be back tomorrow at half past eight bye for now support this show and others like it by giving a donation for more information go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate